Hey there, welcome back to the 102 Project Podcast. My name is Nathan, and I work for Greater Europe Mission as a regional mobilizer. And thank you for listening to this podcast today. This episode is really fun with Grant Kleinfelter. He's a missionary with Jem in Birmingham, and his primary mode of, of ministry is storytelling. So this episode, we're not only going to dive into what the culture of Birmingham looks like, because that is a focus city within Jem, but we're going to dive into what storytelling looks like, not only specifically with 10-2, but also if you want to pursue this as a career opportunity with Jem. The possibilities are endless, and Grant has some amazing wisdom on culture and life and just what it, what it, what it's like being a missionary on the field. So we really hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. Tell me about like what life is like in Birmingham. Like just just uh, dive into that a bit like because it's a focus city but like just dive yeah. into like what that looks like and what's yeah. the culture like in Birmingham and the food like what's some of your favorite foods and I know you and Naomi take Sabbath. Um yeah. so like you adventure around the UK. I just all of that. Just dive into it cuz I want to know about I want yeah. to know more about it. So from a 30,000 foot level, Birmingham is the second largest city in the UK besides London. It's about two and a half million people in the city. Mm. Um, and so the city itself is, it's got a good feel. Like you, you feel like you're in a city. It's not one of those, you know, small places. Uh, and we love it. It has a reputation though in the UK. It's kind of, people say it's like the armpit of the UK, even though oh, man. Uh, it is pretty nice, but it has this history of being kind of uh, coal mining country, the Black Forest area was where, yeah, it's just like a lot of industrial work historically. And so it's, it's it doesn't have like the poshness of London. Uh, mm-hmm. But we love that. Like Naomi's from Detroit. And so the grunge of a city is really like close to her heart. Mm-hmm. And we really enjoy that. We live in a neighborhood in Birmingham that is like just really grungy, but in the best way possible. And so... Mm-hmm. We stinking love living here. Mm-hmm. It's really central to all of England, so we can get anywhere within a couple of hours. Um, yeah, like we take a weekly Sabbath, and so we're just exploring the countryside or going into the city or, you know, venturing to one of our favorite coffee shops or like we have a French bakery on our street. And no it is way. just like he's from he's from France and he imports Levain wheat for his bread. And like, I swear he can do no wrong in the kitchen. Like he makes the best pastries like we'll go in there and we t- typically get the same, like a brioche bun with jalapeno and goat cheese. And it like, I don't even like jalapenos and I stink and love this thing. And then we'll go in and just be like, okay, what, what should we get? And ask him and, and just get whatever he recommends. And he's yet to do us wrong. So, and is it like the che- like the typical, like European price? Like, is it like uh, um, a, a euro? It's, well, it's, it's a pound not, in, in Britain. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's pounds over here. Like you can get something good for a couple of pounds. It's not, you know, as cheap as some places. Like I, I know you spent some time here in England. It's not Greg's mm-hmm. or you get like a 99. Oh, dude, a sausage roll. Sausage Talk roll to from me. Greg's. Like oh, two, my gosh. two donuts for a pound. It's yeah. not that. Okay. Uh, you pay a little bit more, but it's it's definitely cheaper than what you'd think it would be for how good of quality it is. So, right. yeah, there's a ton of good food here. Even though England is known for like not having good food, when you're in a city, you get the whole world at your fingertips. And mm-hmm. so we have you know, a place for just about every ethnic food. Um, so come to England and we'll treat you well with some good food. Dude. Okay. And you said 
forty uh, percent is under the age of twenty-five. Yeah, so about forty percent under twenty-five. It's one of the youngest cities in Europe. There's five pretty big universities here, and it's just pulled a bunch of young people from around England, around Europe, but also from around the world. It's one of the most diverse cities in Europe, um, even more diverse than London, which is wow. kind of hard to believe. Wow. Um, so depending on where you are, you can feel like you're in what you would think of as maybe like a white middle-class English neighborhood. And then in other parts of the city, you're like, I am not even close to Europe right now. I mm-hmm. am in the center of Africa or center of Western Asia or Whoa. wherever the ethnic group is. And so it's, it's a really cool city for being able to be immersed, not just in pockets, but like fully enmeshed in a community uh, that looks and thinks and believes totally different than you, which is really cool. Yeah. So is that why is that why the Brits say that it's the armpit of like the UK? Yeah, I'm curious. I'm not sure if it's because of that, if it's like that overtly potentially racist, or if it's more so the history of. I think it's more so just the history of it being kind of like uh, blue collar workers, lots of factories. Yeah. Um, and with that is just maybe a little bit lower class. I mean, the UK is such a class-based society. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you see that in America here and there, but it's a lot more visible here how people categorize themselves as lower class, middle class, upper class. Um, and it's not even as much said as much as it is felt. You can just feel it depending on what sort of part of the area in the city you're in, uh, which is an interesting thing mm. in British culture. Yeah, because I was wondering if it was because of racism. Because racism yeah. is everywhere. Like we 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 start we're struggling with that in the states. You know, like it's just people are becoming more aware of it. But here's the thing: it's everywhere, especially in Europe and especially in European cultures. So I was just curious totally. if that was the reason. No, I mean it's. Uh, I mean the UK in general is more progressive politically, but that doesn't mean that there isn't racial issues. And even uh, during the uh, football, there was a, a massive football game here for the. Uh, oh goodness! I'm going to show how little I know about soccer here. Uh, what's it called? Not the World Cup. There's another Euro, the Euros. That's what it was. Uh, and there was a shootout at the end of a game, and three of the five members were African African British, oh, and yeah. uh, they all missed the goal. And there was this massive onslaught of racial racist slurs thrown across the web, and like even at the stadium, there was like people nearly rioting out of anger at the fact that some black men missed a goal in football. Mm. Um, and like, that's just outrageous to me, but it just goes to show, yeah, it's not as though uh, America is the, you know, only country wrestling through racial difficulties currently. Yeah. So it's definitely yeah. a need. Um, but even with that, like our church is a part of a, a network of churches in the city that are putting on a, an event they had a while ago called time for change. And it was just churches across the city coming together predominantly white churches and predominantly black churches to say, how can we link arms, work together to work for racial healing in our city? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been really cool to just go to a couple of these events because it's, you know, Pentecostals and Baptists and Presbyterians and some Catholics, and it's a whole eclectic mix, but all coming together and saying, Hey, under the umbrella of Christ, like it's time for change. It's time to acknowledge the like deep rooted, uh, cultural, systemic, individual issues of racism in our society mm-hmm. uh, and be the answer as the church, not just look to the government. So there are some cool things happening with racial 
justice and racial healing here in the UK. Yeah. You mean looking to the government doesn't work? <laughs> yeah. <I'm laughs> just you kidding. believe it? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, dude. That Because I, I remember that shot, uh, just seeing some of my friends from Sunderland just posting like, he didn't miss the shot because he's black. Like he missed the shot because he's human and we've, we yeah. all make mistakes and like, it's crazy. The, and, and I've even seen that, like, even like within the UK during the Olympics, uh, let's just say like an archer is fighting for gold and he's, you know, he's playing on the United Kingdom, like the great Britain side. Yeah. And he misses the shot. You know, the English will say stupid Scotsman. And but if he makes it, it's like the UK, yeah, go British, like go Great Britain, yeah, yeah. And so it's just kind of a a bit of a hypocritical approach to yeah. the culture around them, you know, Northern Ireland, Scotland, England, Wales. But it's racism is everywhere, man, and the prejudice hearts is just our sin nature sometimes. Yeah, to yeah. say that we're better than others just because of where we come from or the status that we think we have with people, but. Yeah. 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 Good thoughts. Yeah. Good thoughts, man. So you, you served, like when I first met you, you said that you were going to serve in Frankfurt uh, (laughs) in Germany and you were actually there. I met you my first summer 10 to 2019 and you helped me debrief the summer. And that was an awesome, an awesome like series of events, great conversations yeah. But you were going to stay in Frankfurt, but now you're in Birmingham. So tell me about that, like what that's looked like and how the Lord has like brought you to Jem and brought you and Naomi to Jem. And- so my exposure to Jem was in the fall of 2016. I went to Moody Bible Institute. and They have a, a missions conference in the fall. And at the one of the sessions, there was a Jem mobilizer uh, who was sharing about the needs in Europe to work with refugees and Muslims. Uh, and I was really passionate about that ministry. And, you know, 2016 was a very tense political season. And I was just really tired of it being purely a political topic, the word refugee, opposed to a personal thing yeah, where it was totally. faces and individuals. And I was working with refugees in the city uh, of Chicago and just really wanted to get out of America to get more exposure doing that. And so when I heard about Gem and what they were doing uh, in Lesbos, Greece, and then all across Europe with people that were flooding across the borders in 2015 and 2016, I just, it just, the Lord just gripped my heart. Um, and so I, I responded and, and went to France for a summer in 2017. Okay. Uh, and just had a really good experience of doing ministry uh, and really appreciated the exposure I had to Jim and the needs in Europe. And so when I came back, I was already kind of uh, looking to do missions long-term. So I, I started the application process to join Jim. Uh, went on a vision trip, went to candidate orientation, made the plans to go to Germany. And right around that same time, I met Naomi. And we started this delicate dance of, is this my thing? Is this our thing? How do you feel about missions? Like, you don't need to say yes to this right now, or really at any point. But if you're going to clearly say no, then we're both wasting our time. So, you know, what what, what is God calling us to? And so we, yeah. we dated for a while while I was still in the process of planning to move. And people were asking us, what are you guys doing? Like you guys are about to go 3000 miles away from each other. Uh, And we didn't know the answer, but we just knew the Lord was saying, start moving and see if these two paths come together. Uh, And lo and behold, they did. And the Mm -hmm. Lord made it very clear that it wasn't just something God was calling me to, but he was calling us to. Uh, And so when we joined, got married, we joined Jem and they encouraged us to go back to Europe, come back on a vision trip, visit a few different cities to see 
really where the Lord was calling us. Uh, and so on that t- trip in 2019, when I met you, we were coming to be a part of annual conference, help with the debrief of the first 10-2 project. Uh, and then we stayed in Frankfurt and then we went to Rome and then we visited Birmingham. And honestly, I was so set that Frankfurt was the city because that was the place we had planned. It was the place we had visited. Uh, I had very little hope of Italy being even remotely close. And I had no hope for England being on the table. Like I was so convinced that Frankfurt was the place. And honestly, the biggest thing was I thought, and this is my own ego, I was like, to be a missionary, you have to learn a language. Like if you go to an English speaking country, you're just taking the the cop out, easy place to go. And like, I'm not a weak Christian. I want to do it right. Um, Now look at you. (laughs) Yeah, which is is so funny because I used to think that about Europe. I was like, God is Mm. calling me to the Middle East. He's calling me to the 1040 window. And, you know, Europe's for people who, you know, are weak and can't go into a more difficult place. And then the Lord called me to Europe. And then I was like, well, at least I'm not going to England. Now I'm in England. And so Uh, it's been a humbling process to see how the Lord has called me back to a place that I didn't ever anticipate coming. Uh, but when we visited here a few years ago, uh, we just knew, like, within a, just a few days of being here, like, now oh, this is the place we're supposed to be. Mm. Uh, and when we went back and, you know, met with people to discern together, just really felt the Lord leading us, moved to Birmingham. And so we kind of changed the direction, let all the people who were supporting us know that we were changing direction from Germany to England. And, uh, yeah, we moved here in 2020. Mm. Man, isn't that so funny how the last place that you think you'd go, that's where you end up? Yeah, it's crazy. Dude, that's just never say never with the Lord because when you do, I just think he just says, okay, you really want me to show you that you're not in control? You're going to, yeah, because when you say that he's Lord, he does what he wants. But gosh, that is amazing and really inspiring, man, because Lena and I are trying to figure out you know, where the Lord is going to take us together, you know? Yeah, yeah. And we've even had the discussion of we're open to anything. And that's even, like, for me, it's like staying. Because I, and I'm honestly, like, how you felt about England, that's how I feel about the United States. Because Mm -hmm. I think that staying and, quote-unquote, being a missionary in the United States, just at least in the South, is a cop-out to me. Um, And so... Exactly what you said, but maybe the Lord is going to call us to stay, and I have to be open yeah. to that. And but yeah. then again, I do I do believe that we'll be in Europe within the next like five or something years. Um, mm-hmm. But I just don't know where, so maybe we take a couple of trips. And yeah, man, yeah. So well, we'll definitely connect, and you know, maybe Birmingham's the place or somewhere else. But maybe way, like that's a it's a a humbling process to come together in marriage and discern together. Cause before yeah. you're married, it's like, yeah, where am I going? Where am I going? God, exactly. you ask God and then you go with it. And now it's like, Oh, I'm a, I'm just one half of the equation and not even, I'm like smaller than that because you and her together are one half and then God is the other. <laughs> and yeah. so yeah. just really discerning together where the Lord leads is, is a, a humbling but exciting process because once you both get on the same page, like, and when that happened for both of us, like I was really skeptical about not going to Germany because I was just I was lo- like holding tightly to the plans we had. Uh, but when he changed the plans, I was like, "Oh man, this is exactly what we're supposed to do. This is exactly where we're supposed to be." Mm, great, it's that's the best place like to be when you know that you're in the will of God and yeah. you know that like this is where we're supposed to be, and you don't necessarily have a next step planned because you know that's where you're supposed to be. And that's exactly yeah. where Lena and I are right now. Like, mm-hmm. we know that, that we're supposed to be here, sending, recruiting, leading teams. 
but yeah. we don't know what that next step is. I love the idea of liminal spaces, like the idea of what's that place that's tangentially connected to two different spots, but it's not fully in either. And mm-hmm. so often we find ourselves like in liminal spaces in life where we're not, we kind of have a foot in one place and a foot in another. And I feel like those are the places where the Lord most speaks to us. Um, and so I don't know, like just keep pressing in because it's going to be fun to see how the Lord will lead you guys in this space. And yeah, I'm excited to see where he puts you. Yeah. And it's probably going to be somewhere where we've never even thought of or like, so yeah. you, you went back to the States and you got married, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And where, so did you get married like where Naomi's family was? Like, did y'all get married in Detroit or? Yeah. So we got okay. married in Detroit. Um, my family's from Iowa. We have some family in Chicago. We were living in Chicago at the time. So we were trying to discern, you know, between Iowa, Illinois, Michigan, where we get married and ended up getting married near her family in Detroit. Um, and then we lived in Chicago before moving back or moving here to England. Mm. And how long have you been in Birmingham? So we've been here about 15 months. We moved here in November of 2020. Um, yeah, we were set to leave early in 2020. We'd actually left our home in Chicago. We're visiting with family, planning to say our goodbyes finishing up the last bit of support we needed to raise and we were set to leave early in 2020 and then COVID hit and we were stuck living in my parents' basement for 10 months, which was a very humbling uh, experience growing in many ways as we spent a lot of intimate time with my family, challenging and others. Um, yeah. But yeah, then finally in November of 2020, the, the doors opened up. Uh, yeah, we were able to move here and 15 months later, it's hard to believe it's been over a year, but yeah, yeah, we love it here. Mm. Yeah, and Birmingham, you guys have like that team is like a powerhouse. You guys have planted like twelve to fifteen churches in the last year, right? Like, yeah, there's there's a really cool movement. So Birmingham is one of the focus cities of uh, Gem, which focus cities are, you know, Frankfurt, Athens, Berlin, and Birmingham cities across Europe that Gem has located as strategic for places to both receive a, a larger influx of missionaries to then be a place to train, equip, and then launch out people. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the initiatives they're doing is to try and plant a thousand churches in the next 20 years here in Birmingham, wow. which to me is like crazy. And I don't know how on earth they're envisioning doing that, but I'm not part of those conversations and I'm trusting a God who's bigger than any of our ideas. But uh, yeah. yeah, so they they were able to plant, I think 15 or so different churches in the last year, not just with gem missionaries, but with gem partners locally uh, so wow. there's some really cool things happening here, and yeah, excited to see what's to come in this next season as they plan to plant more and more churches. Dang, man! And so, how did you, how did you get involved, like, with storytelling in all of this? Like, yeah. And does Naomi do storytelling? And and I meant to ask you guys about your support raising, so I, I want to like ask you about that too. So let's not sure, forget yeah, about. Sure, yeah, we'll come back to that. About support raising uh, as a couple, you know, and yeah. but yeah. So how did you, how did you fall into storytelling in Birmingham, and was that even on your radar when you were in Frankfurt? And what's your background with what you do now yeah. for Jim? Yeah, great question. So uh, throughout high school and in college, I went on several mission trips, and every time I came back, uh, I remember just being like, "Man, God is doing some really cool things around the world." Mm-hmm. I spent a summer in Southeast Asia, and I remember sitting there in uh, a communist country, uh, one of the most dangerous countries in the world for Christians to be in, and hearing stories of these resilient followers of Jesus 
who had lived through some immense persecution. Many of them had lost family members because of their faith. And I remember just thinking like stories like this are all over the world, but I've never heard them. And uh, it was one of those things where I was asking God, like, do something about this, like help people hear these stories. But I wasn't seeing how he was actually putting it on my heart to help be a part of that answer. And so uh, around that same time, I was I was really learning more about photography. I'd always loved uh, images, but hadn't really gotten into it myself. But in 2015, at that same time, I, I really started to find a passion for it. I got my first camera and started learning the mechanics of photography. And I've always loved writing. I've always enjoyed uh, reflecting through words, through just journaling, or I had a blog in college, like every basic Bible college kid. And, uh, you know, writing has just always been a passion. And so uh, I kept looking around, like, where is a place where I could use photography and writing in a way to serve in ministry? And I just couldn't find anything out there. Like, there just weren't internships that were really heavy on a ministry uh, where you were actually doing work with people and doing media. I, I remember meeting with one organization and they said, the ministry you do is the media you create. And I thought about that. And it was like, okay, that's good for some people who don't maybe have giftings to be in vocational ministry. But I went to Bible college, studied theology and intercultural studies to be a missionary, to serve people, not mm-hmm. just to do media. I could have gone to community college if I just wanted to create videos. Um, yeah. And so I was just really struggling to find an organization that brought media and ministry together in effective ways. Uh, so when I came to Jim for my internship, I'd kind of given up hope on finding an internship like that. So I was just like, I'm just going to create it myself. And when I was in France, I started just taking photos of people I was meeting, asking them questions, and then posting stories day after day of someone I had met with a little bit of their story. And when I did that, someone within Gem reached out to me and they were like, hey, we love what you're doing. We want to do more of this. Would you be interested in being a missionary storyteller? And I was like, that sounds awesome. What on earth is that? Mm. (laughs) And so we kind of started exploring what would it look like and kind of this dream uh, that I had in the back of my mind but didn't even know was a reality started to take shape where uh, we would be based in a place serving in a local context and then occasionally travel to visit different missionaries to be a fly on the wall capturing stories of what God is doing there to capture them in a way that ministers to the people that we're telling the story about, but then also creates content that we can minister to people back in America or Canada or wherever else we're sending this uh, in a way that helps them know what God is doing and how they can get involved. And so I did that for my internship. And then that was actually what started the the journey of joining Jem was coming to do storytelling. Uh, and so when Naomi and I were dating and I was planning to do this, she actually came to me one day and she said, Grant, I think you need me to be a storyteller. And I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> She's like, yeah, you know, you know how to write and you know how to uh, like take photos. But if you're going to be doing that, like how are you going to be fully present listening? And how are you going to ask mm-hmm. engaging questions when you're fidgeting with your F stop and all these different mm-hmm. things? And I started thinking, you're right. Like this would be really hard to do alone. And, and I'm sure people can do it. Um, but, she, but Naomi's gift is empathy. Like she has a high emotional intelligence and high uh, skills and discernment and empathy and being with people. She studied counseling in college for her undergrad and uh, yeah. like she just loves people and ask really great questions. And, and so it was like, oh yeah, I think you're right. If we did this together, we could turn this into so much more of a dynamic ministry. 
Uh, and so that was kind of what launched us together as storytellers. It was originally my thing and it became our thing. And today, uh, it's actually funny because we started by doing writing stories and some photo stories. And then we started doing video projects, which I've, I used to dabble in video, but I had very little exposure to it. Um, but after a little bit, I was like, I'm really bad at editing videos. Naomi, do you want to try it? And she's like found a love and a passion for it. Wow. And so now, when, you know, like I'll do some of the mechanics with getting the camera set up. Uh, but then when we come home, she does almost all of the editing for any video thing we do. If you see any of the reels on Jem's Instagram or any like promo videos or anything that we've produced, like she's done almost all of the work for that. And so I want to give her all the credit for that because yeah. we're a team in it. And like without her, so much of the content would be way worse. And it's uh, so it's good. So, it's so fun to work together to have a spouse that like has a shared vision of the ministry you're called to and being able to work like side by side, locked arms in the kingdom work God called us to. Mm. Man, yeah, those videos that Naomi does are so, I was going to ask, I remember I almost slid up on one video asking if this was you, because I didn't know, like, who's doing that? Is that the Colorado office or is that Grant and yeah, Naomi? So, yeah, I mean, there's anything you see on there, there's, a, there's different people who make different things. And so there's some stuff that we, Gem, has outsourced to another organization who makes some stuff. So if it's like on a crazy good level, it's probably not us. But if it's like, hey, this is all right, that might be us. Because uh, we're definitely still beginners. There's there's yeah. a recent video that was made. Actually, my mom sent me a message. She's like, did you make this? It's so good. And I was like, no, that was some other organization oh, <laughs> that Gem outsourced it to. So like, I, don't, I definitely don't want to take credit for everything. But if it's on like uh, our Facebook or Instagram, more likely than not, it's something that Naomi and I had a hand in, which is pretty fun to be able to yeah, share with people. Mm. So who is storytelling for? Like, can can anybody yeah. do it? Yeah. I mean, we're looking for people who have a love for Jesus, first of all. Like, you may have really good technical skills of photography or video, but if you don't really love Jesus, we honestly don't want you. Uh, <laughs> so a love for Jesus and a love for people, but also, like, skills in photography, film, uh, writing, graphic design. You know, we have a space for that. I think so often people who have those artistic gifts, don't see how they can be used in the kingdom of God. And it just breaks my heart because God gifts us all uniquely because the body of Christ needs each of the different gifts that the people have. And in this day and age where we have the world at our fingertips through our phone, it's so important to leverage this technology in a way that we can redeem it. We all yeah. know how technology can be used for evil, but there's also ways to use it for good. Yeah. And sadly, when it comes to missions, like the modes we operate on for how we communicate are archaic. Mm. Like come back every four years and share for 10 minutes at our church what God did in those four years. And then set up a booth at the back with a couple photos uh, and hope doing it. Like, and you wonder why people aren't feeling called to missions because they have no exposure to it. But if we had high-quality photography, high-quality videos, well-written stories that were constantly being passed to churches to or through or through GEM or other organizations, from missionaries on the field to the friends and family and churches that support them, like how much more effective would that be in engaging people with how they can get involved by praying, by giving, by going themselves, and just really like I see storytelling as a way to awaken the body of Christ to the needs around the world and hopefully start a movement of people responding to the call of God to get involved in global missions. Yeah, yeah. And it's so effective too, because literally last night I was debriefing a team that I'm going to be leading to Spain 
uh, Lena and I are going together and leading that team. And how did we start off the meeting? It was with a video of our missionaries that were going to serve. And it was the details of their ministry and the story of how the Lord called them. And it was just a great start because how can I explain, you know, who these missionaries are, what they do better than them explaining it, you know, through video, through visual. And so there's just so much power in it. And it's so, it's, it's such an important tool, especially these days. And yeah, it can be used for evil, but I think that what our our purpose is for storytelling is to just make people aware and yeah. to just get them involved um, with yeah. what the Lord's doing on the mission field and get people talking and get people asking questions. So yeah, 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 mm-hmm. so good. Yeah. So, what's your perspective on that? Like, why does storytelling matter? Um, yeah, or, I mean. Yeah. I- I think storytelling is so important for, I mean, the reasons you just said of raising up a new generation of global workers, but I also see storytelling important as, as an important ministry because, you know, in Europe and increasingly across North America, people don't really care what you think is good or what you believe is true. And the old model of, you know, come to church and hear someone preach about the goodness of God from the truth of scripture, just, isn't going to work going forward here in Europe. Like we're already past a place where people, you know, think there's such thing as goodness or truth and America is getting there too. Uh, But when we think about those things that are transcendent, goodness, truth, there's one we often forget, which is beauty. Mm. And to me, I think about beauty and how God has weaved his creative design. He was a creator, but he also created us to be creators. The Mm -hmm. first job he gave to man was to name the animals and Adam and Eve named all of creation, uh, all of these different creative names that we have for animals today. And, you know, throughout all of history, God has been partnering with humans to create in the world. And we are like little creators of reflecting the big C creator type of thing. Uh, And so for me, I think about how beauty is something that, you know, you could be an atheist, an agnostic, a Buddhist, a Hindu, a Muslim, a Christian, and you all can recognize when something is beautiful. Like when you look at Van Gogh's Starry Night, like I don't know if you've ever seen that in person at the Met in New York. Like I could just stare at that for hours. Or if you're, you know, in the Sistine Chapel in Rome and you see the beauty of that artwork, or if you're just seeing a sunrise or like a child running into his mother's arms, like each of these moments of transcendent beauty, like anyone, no matter where you're from or what your worldview is, can have those moments of transcendence to see something beautiful. And to me, that's what storytelling is about. It's a way to tap into the heart cry that is at everyone's, like in the center of every person is a desire to be moved by something. And when you tell a story well through photos, through video, or through just a well-written story, you can engage people on an emotional level so much more effective than you can on a head level. Like, um, uh, N.T. Wright is a theologian I love, and he has a quote, and to paraphrase it, he says, you know, if you tell someone something to do, you can change them for a day. But if you tell them a story, you can change them for life. And I think that, to me, is the whole point. Like, when you think about even your journey in faith, it was probably hearing a story. I mean, maybe it was just hearing the truth of the gospel, and that's great, and many people will come to faith through that. Uh, but for me, it was someone talking to me about their story of faith that started to draw me in. And then my call to missions was directly tied to someone's story. 
Um, and then yeah. scripture, I mean, like the whole Bible is this massive story that God exactly. gave us. And so often we forget about that. We just want to get distill it down to the four spiritual laws and the Romans road. And none of these things are wrong, but more often than not, that's not what's going to work in this post-Christian secular age we're living in. And what we need is effective and engaging ways to tell the same story, but in creative means. And I think storytelling is a really effective way for us to be showing a different way of doing apologetics in this world is to show the beauty of God, not just reflect the truth or goodness through what we say, but do it through what we create. Mm, Man, dude, that's so good. Becoming all things to all people and like relating to people in the way that they, you know, they relate and they, they see the, they see the world and you're, that's so true, man. If it wasn't for story, then where would we be, you know, as far as Christianity goes and because we yeah. didn't always have access to the Bible, and it was because people were telling the story of of Christ, and somehow it lines up over thousands of years. It's just it's it's insane to me. But we all long for a good story, which is why we go to movies yeah. and why yeah. we listen to music yeah. and why we pursue artistic things because that's something intertwined within us. And there's a there's a book by. Oh my goodness, I'm going to forget his name. He wrote Wild at Heart. Um, John Eldridge. John Eldridge, yes. Okay, so when I was at CO, uh, Candidate Orientation in Colorado, we watched Epic by John Eldridge. Yes. And it was the greatest gospel presentation I've ever seen because he related it to so many different stories and movies that we relate to. Yeah. And I was just like, at the end of it, uh, Kirk Cherry just like looked at us and said, so what were some thoughts? And I just raised my hand. I said, that is the greatest gospel presentation I've ever seen yeah. um, or heard because it just, it hit me here, like in, yeah. in, in, in like right in my chest because I related to like fun movies like The Matrix and, yeah. and Lord of the Rings and any Marvel movie you could think of, it's good versus evil. And because yeah. it's, it's, we want the victor to win. We want the good to yes. win. And so, like, yeah. that's the story that I feel like we're telling within Jim is, yeah, yeah, the enemy's being defeated and the Lord is winning. And come, yeah. come join this, come join this army that's fighting, you know, against evil in Europe. So, yeah, yeah. well, and I think so often we get locked into a sacred secular divide of, well, that's not Christian, so I can't use that, or uh, you know, even just the mindset of, um. It just we, we, we get in these binaries of thinking like, well, that's that's not the Christian way of doing it. <laughs> and it's so funny because, you know, story is everywhere and you can weave it in. And there's so many ways to redeem, even if something was created by a non-Christian and it has a potentially right. a secular audience. Like there's still so many inner like we all were made in the image of God, which means at the core of who each of us are, there's a thumbprint of God which means we're going to do things that reflect that even if we aren't a child of his. Yeah. Um, and so being able to step into a movie theater and watch something and then step away, and this is something Naomi's phenomenal at. She loves movies. And when we walk out of a cinema, she'll be able to just like reflect like this amazing gospel message. And it just is so cool to hear how she can do that because, yeah, like you're saying, it's, it, everyone connects with the gospel in a different way. And if we're not becoming all things to all people, then we're not going to be, we're going to be missing out on a huge you know, section of the population that God cares about and that we should care about 
but we're not effective, effectively engaging because we have a Christ against culture rather than a Christ yeah. through culture mindset of mission. Yeah, yeah. So what does storytelling look like in Gem, and how can people get involved uh, with Gem and what like what Gem is doing all over Europe with storytelling? Yeah, so we currently have a team of 11 people spread across seven countries who are writers, photographers, filmmakers, uh, and together we work individually at times and then collectively uh, on projects, capturing stories of what God's doing. And we try to highlight, you know, where are the stories of what God is doing in a way that is like showing uh, his work in someone's life, showing transformation, those success stories. But we also want to tell uh, need stories. You know, where is there a gap? Where is there an opportunity that needs to be filled? Like, where is there a place where we need people or funds or prayer? Because uh, not m- missions is not always, you know, happy-go-lucky, fun, exciting, six, quote-unquote successful. Yeah. Um, and then the third type of story we try to tell is stories of education. Like, Gem has been around for 70-some years we have a unique uh, market when it comes to missions of what God is doing in Europe. Gem should be at the first, uh, the top of the list when people think of resources. And so we're trying to create resources. And so we're looking for filmmakers, writers, and photographers who are interested in telling the stories of what God is doing, telling the stories of need, and then helping create content that will help inform people how they can get involved. Uh, and what it looks like on the ground is we really are passionate about storytellers being plugged into a local context, serving in a local church, working with whatever uh, ministry that you feel called to locally. Because storytelling, uh, I mean, if it was a full-time thing, one, it would cost a ton of money because you'd be traveling constantly. Two, you'd probably burn out pretty quick because you wouldn't be rooted anywhere. And three, like we really think that to tell stories well of life as a missionary, you need to experience life as a missionary. And so we want our storytellers to be plugged into local context serving and then every couple of months to travel to the different areas, whether it's in your own country or across borders into other countries to capture stories of what God is doing there Mm. to share with people through photos, video and writing. Mm. Uh, So that's kind of what it looks like. If if people are interested in learning more about it, you can visit gemission.org slash storytelling or even just go to Gem's website and type in storytelling Mm. And you can learn a little bit more. You can see articles our team has created or click inquire more to, to learn, to get connected. Uh, and even just, you know, if you're listening to this, reach out to me, find me on social media. I love talking with people and just seeing them light up when they realize that these gifts that they have have a place in the kingdom of God. Because so often people don't see that yeah. and they're tired of feeling like the only thing they can use their photography and video for is for being the tech guy at their church, mm. which is a high calling, is something we need. Uh, but for many people, they want to do something more than that with their skills and with their passion. Yeah. Uh, and so creating that opportunity for creatives in the mission world is vital. And I'm super excited about how our team is trying to step into that space to create opportunities for people to use those gifts for yeah, God. Yeah, dude. Oh my gosh. Incredible answer. Like incredible uh, detail, man. That's so great. So it's it's more than just running an Instagram account or taking a yeah, taking yeah. a photo and being good with you know your editing software and posting it. It's just so much more than that. It's it's getting involved in the local context, you know, with your storytelling and it's doing life with people. It's it's building community with people. It's yeah. it's just yeah. It's so much more than just a camera or you know video editing software. I love that. And so, like, w- yeah. with 
with the Ten Two Project. Yeah. So, uh, how do, what does that look like? You know, with with these young adults coming and serving with us uh, with storytelling, what does that look like? Yeah, this is one of my favorite parts of storytelling: is how do we reach the next generation of global workers who are coming on short term missions? And so, last year we launched the storytelling uh, track of being a Ten Two participant, and so. For people doing 10-2 or who are interested in 10-2, mm-hmm. this is an opportunity for you to still be a full-time 10-2 participant, but also to get the opportunity to do storytelling on the side. So this summer, we're going to have people in about 11, 10 or 11 different cities across Europe who are you know, writers, photographers, filmmakers, capturing stories. And with this internship, we kind of have training before they hit the ground in Europe what does storytelling look like? Why do we do this? Why, what, why does it matter? Give some of the you know biblical and theological foundations for why we think this is important. And then a lot of practical tips on how do you do that well. Mm-hmm. And then over the course of the summer, we have weekly sessions of coaching, training, and mentorship for each of them through a different long-term storyteller. Uh, and so it's been a really cool thing for us to create this. Last year, we had five storytellers in Kosovo. This year, we're going to have like 11 or so people spread across Europe. Uh, and just really excited to see where 10 2 storytelling goes from yeah, here. Yeah, dude, me too. Yeah. Because it, it's writers, photographers, you know, people just making the next generation aware. And it's just yeah. going to be super effective. And it already has been. We've seen an abundance of like great responses from like what people. Yeah. Have and I just, you know, that was one of the things when Naomi and I joined Gem. I kind of thought I was joining a movement of uh, storytellers already within Gem, but came to find out, no, this is something Gem wants to do, and I'm the guinea pig. Uh, yeah. And after we landed on the field, one of my supervisors asked us, like, Grant, what do you guys want to do with this ministry? And I said, I want to build a team, because Naomi and I versus the 500 other missionaries in Europe, like, we can't even scratch the surface. But if we could mobilize the masses, create a team, and start a movement of storytelling, we can do so much more collectively than any of us could individually. And so bringing in the 10 tours is doubling our team for those two months that they're yeah. here. And I'm already getting ready with a bunch of ideas and prospect like projects for them to take on to both, you know, get experience growing as a storyteller, but also to serve the broader mission of gem uh, right. with content that will be beneficial for different missionaries in different cities. Right. Right. So, with ten two, you know, students raise a lump sum and they come and serve with storytelling. And so, but you yeah. and Naomi are full time, and other storytellers in Europe are full time. And so you, that means you yeah. guys are raising full support to support your life, to support your ministry. And so, I think that's that's a big, a big um, aspiration for people, you know, who are in yeah. the creative world. Is how am I going to make money doing this? Because it's yes. almost like every all of us have to be be a freelancer at some point, um, yeah. giving our services to whoever needs it and whoever wants it, and doing a lot of it for free most of the time, which yeah. is is not always the best, but sometimes it's necessary to get us to that next step. But how, how what was the process of you and Naomi raising your support um, to yeah. inform people like this is what I'll be doing? And were they on board? Was it was it difficult? I, I'd love to just dive into that journey because that's a big that's a big part of the process of getting yeah. to Europe. And so, yeah, uh, dive into that for us. Yeah, it's it's massive. And and you know, for all of you ten tours that are raising support for your uh, summer, like that's challenging. Yeah. 
But then imagine raising the amount that you need to raise for that month for every month because that's what it looks like to live here. And it can be really daunting early on to think, wait, I need to raise that much money. Um, But Naomi and I, we did it when we were, you know, 23, she was 25. Um, So just out of college and the Lord provided. And that to me, like, I mean, this honestly is is a whole other podcast to talk about support raising because I love talking about support raising because to me, you know, it is one of the coolest ways for us to live out what we theologically believe but pragmatically deny which is that we need people mm. like in the christian life we say all the time that we live dependent upon others but we don't we live so individualistic so independent so we don't good. depend upon anyone for our monthly paycheck but when it comes to the body of christ when it, especially when it comes to missions like you literally can't do it without the help of other people um, and it is such a humbling and exciting opportunity to say hey you know, God's called me to this. Has God also called you to partner with me in this? And so for us, like, yeah, it was a challenge. It took some time, uh, but it was so cool to see how, whether it was through friends who recently graduated college and were just starting their career or, you know, friends of my parents or, you know, this church or whatever it might be, just connecting with different people and then uh, seeing that as a ministry as well of how do we minister to the people who are supporting us. And uh, with storytelling, um, I honestly think that's something we're still trying to figure out is like, how do we, uh, you know, we pass along the stories we create to the people we support. But I still think that people are kind of confused as to what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, and it's a funny thing that we're trying to help raise awareness of other people's needs. And in the process, I think some of our supporters maybe don't even know what we do. And so it's a, it's an ever present problem. And I feel like we're chasing ourselves in a tail trying to fix the problem by focusing on others. But then sometimes we forget about telling our own story well. Mm, Um, And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a challenge for people raising support. Um, And it's not for the faint of heart, but like, you know, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So are you really going to say he's not going to provide for you because he has for other people. And if you believe he's called you, he's going to equip you. So don't let that hold you back. Like there's a million and one reasons why God may not call you to the mission field. But if money is the reason then I think that's just a lie from the pit of hell because God will provide so true. some way through some means. And so it's been really cool to see how he's done that for us. Dude, man, I feel like every answer you've had today is just a mic drop. It's it's like, <laughs> it's amazing. Like that's so true because we, we, we act like we don't need people. And that's like, that's yeah. the, that's the, the chatter. Of, <laughs> sorry. What'd you say? I said it's heresy yeah. to think that we don't need people. Yeah, but we we live like that mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, that's the anthem of the culture right now. Is yeah. you know build your kingdom, build your brand, leave everybody in the dust, live your best life, and then spend it all and die broke. And yeah, you know live live your best life now. We don't want to depend on people a lot of the time, and that's something that I still struggle with because. With as a missionary, you're always raising support. I feel like it's, or you're yeah. always aware of it at least, because these people are literally giving to your ministry. And like you said earlier, I can relate of just telling the stories of other people, but then not sharing our own story. So like I write, sure. I try to write as many newsletters as I can quarterly, uh, just to give an update yeah. and and share with people um, when I'm not trying to tell the stories or help other people out on the mission field. So. But dude, any other any other like thoughts that you had, or any other topics that you wanted to discuss? Um, I mean, I guess I just want to say it again. Like, if you're hearing this and it resonates with you, the the call to use your 
skills and interest in media for the sake of the kingdom. Like, don't sleep on that. Yeah. Now, whether it's with Gem or another organization, like, there are opportunities out there. You may have to search a little harder. Yeah. Um, but I would say come to Gem because we're already starting to do it. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, like, it's it's just such a cool thing to be able to see people. Like, I love, I love, love, love when I get to meet with, you know, specifically college students who are just like, you know, a journalism major and they want to use it in the ministry, specifically admissions. They're like, I don't know where to do this or what to do. And to be able to be like, come to gym, we're doing that very thing. And, and to see the light bulb moment. And so, yeah, I just hope that if anyone out there is feeling, and, and, and I mean, you can apply this to anything else. Like we we're telling a story currently, we're working on a film uh, of a guy named Fred Naff, who's down outside of Athens mm-hmm. in Greece. And he's an architect and he's been with gem for like 30 years using architecture as a ministry. Yeah. And we're creating this story to try and raise up more architects and designers to join him. Yeah. And I'm just like, man, you know, if I'm over here harping on creatives and people with media skills, like he's over there trying to get professionals in architecture and construction. And I'm like, ultimately, we're all trying to say the same thing, which is your vocation is a gift that God has given right. you that isn't just so that you can build up a nice fat paycheck and a nice 401k, but so that you can give that vocation back to others yeah. through ministry or through Uh, your business even. And so I just think so often we have this narrow mind of what missions is. Uh, It's nothing less than church planning and discipleship multiplication. Uh, But the ways in which we can do that are so vast and broad. And I think that so often we have a narrow view of how God can use our gifts or what gifts he's even interested in. And it's like, no, if you just submit all of yourself to the Lord, like he's going to give you back those vocations and probably allow you to use it in a really powerful way. Like, I love the the verse where Jesus is saying, like, blessed are those who leave father and mother, sister and brother and field for the sake of my name. I think we forget about that. Like, basically what he's saying is, blessed are those who who leave their vocation, leave the sustenance by which they get their salary for the sake of my kingdom. And what does he say after that? You will receive it back in this life. Like, God doesn't want to take away the joy of your job but he may want to redirect the way in which you use it so that you can benefit others, not just your own salary. Yes. So just for anyone that's like feeling like their vocation can't be used, like throw that lie back to the pit of hell where it belongs. And if you're wanting to find a way to use it, maybe Gem is the group for you to do it. Yeah, dude. And that just speaks to Colossians, like in Colossians 3, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And definitely yeah. not just domestically with our job, but Jesus, well, this is Paul, but the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul saying, like, whatever you do, just do it for me. You know, do it for my glory. Yeah. Do it for my kingdom. If, if, if you're following me, if you're following me, like, our job is to give the Lord the utmost praise and the utmost glory and to make him known. And yeah. so, like, yeah. every gift, every talent, can be used for the kingdom. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, just it's not just church planting and discipleship multiplication. Those are our bread and butter. And that's where we see a lot yeah. of response. But there's a whole lot of areas that ministry can be done um, that doesn't necessarily yeah. look like ministry to former generations. But for us, it's like, exactly. absolutely, this is ministry. Um, because ministry is dealing with people and 
yeah. building relationships with people. And, and meeting them where they are. Like, you know, church planning is effective when it is contextual. But the old idea of like starting a church, getting a building and helping people will come, like that's probably not going to work. You're probably going to need to adapt to the culture and have something just be like a, a small group gathering in your basement. And then maybe it'll grow to something. And in the same way, like what are the what are the things going on in our culture? And it's like, you know, we are a tech, like we are swimming in technology. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I hate it. And there's a part of me that's like, you know, we need to be embodied. We need to not just be three dimen- or two-dimensional things over a screen. Yeah. Um, but we can use that, and we need to redeem it and and use it for what we can. So, yeah, it's yeah. a both end because um, if you just think that end. you're discipling people on your Instagram page because you're spitting off verses and you know you have a, thousands of followers, like you're missing the point. You know, Jesus totally. was about totally. face-to-face interaction, and the, that's how the church yeah. should be community. You know, one thing yeah. that Instagram and social media eliminates is a real sense of personal community. And so yeah. it's both. You yeah. you need that, but also you can tell the story via, you know, like you said, 2D, uh, in a 2D yeah. dimension. So it's a both. Yeah. yeah, definitely not an excuse to not go share the gospel and talk with people and be personal. So, yeah. For sure, for yeah, sure. But, well, man, I have one final question for you, and it's about your life in Birmingham. So think about your <laughs> an amazing day. Like, think about your Sabbath. Yeah. You wake up. Uh, where do you go get coffee? Where do you go get breakfast in Birmingham? What does that look like? Oh, uh, I'm going to walk you through our Sabbath. Come on. So uh, we live, every neighborhood in a city in England has a high street. Think of it as like your main street in mm-hmm. town. Um, and so we live right off of our high street and we'll walk down, down to Drayton road, walk down the road or down our high street, Ulster road, and we'll go into all these charity shops. So we have, uh, maybe you know this from your time in England, uh, charity shops are like thrift stores. We have like 13 on our wow. road. So we'll just like pop in quick, see if there's anything there. We like go into all of them. So we know what's there every week, but it's like, Oh, maybe something's new. We love thrifting. So we go to these charity shops and then we'll go down to that French bakery that I mentioned before, Lemaine and Cherry. There's another bakery too that's run by Christians and they make really good donuts. And so if we're really feeling gratuitous, like really just like feasting on Sabbath, we'll go to both and just get a, like a come pastry on. from each. Then we'll come home. Uh, we also have a really good used bookstore. So we stop there, see if there's any good books, come home, enjoy that. And then we'll typically go out for the day. Like maybe it's, you know, visiting a coffee shop or uh, in England, we have what's called National Trust, which are like old estates from 1300s that have been upkept and are just immaculate. Mm. And, you know, they have coffee shops in them and they have like the old uh, manor, the old homes you can tour. And then they have like hundreds of acres of land with wild animals out there. So we'll just like go for an afternoon at a a National Trust and then come home, you know, make dinner. Just be together. Uh, we always try to like avoid any social, uh, like like uh, technology. We try to have it be a day with no phone calls or meetings yeah. as much as possible. Like we keep that day sacred. Uh, again, not because like we need to like legalistically, but because it's a gift. Like man, you know, Jesus said Sabbath is not made for man. Man was made for Sabbath, and the Jews needed to be reminded that. Uh, man was not made for Sabbath. Like they didn't need to be a slave to it, but we need to be reminded that Sabbath was made for yeah. man, like as a gift for us to slow totally. down. And so we protect that. Cause we, you know, we do a lot in five, six days, 
but that day off is just like, man, it's my favorite day of the yeah. week. And it's a, it's a huge way that Naomi and I connect. Um, especially like ministry could just be so grueling cause it never stops. Like there's needs everywhere. Right. And so protecting that is so important. And, uh, yeah, so mm. I could talk about Sabbath Dude, all day. Dude, <laughs> heck yeah, I love that. And so, like, if you were going to have, like, your favorite dinner um, in Birmingham on your Sabbath, what would that look like? So we typically, uh, on our Sabbath, I actually typically make dinner because Naomi, she enjoys cooking. She makes dinner, you know, five, six nights a week uh, when we're in. But I try to give her a day off because it's it's a break for her. Yeah. Uh, but if she was cooking something, she makes an, um, like a wicked lemon Greek lemon chicken. Mm. It's just like potatoes and veggies and chicken with this Greek lemon sauce that is literally to die for. Uh, so I would say that sort of meal, if we're eating out, there's this burger place nearby that we love. I would say probably going there, getting something from uh, this burger place. Mm. So got some all sorts of good options. If I'm making it, it's probably like breakfast at night because I'm not a very good cook. So like pink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude, that sounds incredible. So what about your favorite British phrase, your favorite English Ooh. phrase or, or, or word? Yeah, I mean, the, the classic one is you all right? Y'all right, which is the way Brits will say, how are you? You mm-hmm. don't say what's up or how are you? Say you all right. And I mean, the first few days of moving here, it was like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, there's something on my face. Like, do I look like ill yeah. or sick? Uh, so I find that funny and I, I love saying it to people. Um, and I also just love saying cheers. Like you just say whatever you want. Like cheers, man. Cheers. So it's, it's a greeting. It's a goodbye. It's a thank you. Yes. Uh, just throw a cheers in there when you don't know what to say. It's kind of like saying ça va in France. Mm-hmm. Like you just say it whenever you want and you're probably not wrong in that context. Yeah. So I love saying cheers. I love asking people, you all right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Trying to adapt our language as much as possible to just, you know, meet people where yeah. they are and, We'll never probably have the accent, so we'll always sell ourselves as Americans, but it's fun to just kind of adapt where we mm, can. Yeah, I think my favorite phrase is lovely. Like when they say something is lovely. 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 Yeah. Lovely. yeah, yeah. Um, also, Brits are, I mean, they've got some real creative ways of stringing swear words together. Mm. Uh, and so I'm not going to share those here, but it's pretty funny sometimes when like you're watching a football match at a pub or like you're with people and it's just like, man, I, I didn't even know you could like put those words together and make that phrase, but... Like I just got to give you a round of applause because that was impressive. Like it was pretty vile, but like that was that was wow. Yeah, I think uh, my favorite insult that I've ever heard was a woman called her husband a dumb sausage. Oh <laughs> it's just like, what you dumb sausage? And it's just it's just so different than anything that I've ever heard as an insult. But there's there's one phrase here. It's I, I don't know if this is taking the Lord's name in vain, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, it's people will say, ah, oh, Jesus wept. And I think it's more of a Scottish thing, uh-huh. but you'll hear it sometimes out here in England. And it's just kind of like a, you sigh and say, Jesus wept. And it's just the funniest thing. I've only heard it a few times. I've seen it on telly here a few times, but it's just like such a funny, exacerbated way of just like moaning mm-hmm. <laughs> to quote scripture. Yeah, exactly. Okay. To quote scripture. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, dude, amazing. Uh, this has been such a fun episode and yeah, just thank you for your time and for expressing your love and your passion for storytelling and sharing that. So man, could we pray and like, could you pray for the incoming storytellers for future 10 to storytellers and even for your ministry, man, just to raise up laborers yeah. and to strengthen your ministry 
Um, so yeah. I'll join you in that. Thank you, Nathan. I'd love to. Let's pray. God, I thank you uh, that you are a creator and you have created us to reflect your creatorness in the way that we live as your image bearers. Uh, as your creation, you want us to reflect the beauty of who you are in the way that we live. Um, and God, I thank you for what you're doing all across Europe through gem workers, through our, our national partners. There's so many stories of what you're doing. And I'm just I'm humbled when I hear ways that you are moving and that God is is drawing people to himself. Uh, and Spirit, I just pray you'd continue to do that. Uh, and Jesus, I pray that you would raise up the next generation of storytellers. You know, you have gifted people with skills that you want them to use for your sake, for your kingdom. Yes. Uh, and I pray that you would raise up a generation of storytellers to join Jim, to capture the story of what you are doing here. Uh, Father, for the storytellers coming in with Ten Two this summer, would you give them a heart that reflects you, uh, that they would seek to embody the love of Jesus through the stories they tell, that they would be a person first, a storyteller second, uh, and minister both to the people they are capturing the story about and through the media they create to the people they will tell the story to. I pray that you would just bless the ministry of the 10-2 storytellers with all 11 of them coming in. Mm-hmm. We're excited to see what they'll do, and we pray that you would just work mightily through their hands, through their minds, through the lenses of their cameras. Uh, and yeah, God, as people hear this, if, if they're feeling the tug at their heart, I pray that they wouldn't avoid that that they respond, that they'd reach out, that you would uh, just call people into this ministry. So, Father, we love you. Spirit, we thank you for your interceding with us. Uh, And Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. When I say that this episode was absolutely phenomenal, I really mean that. Grant had some incredible wisdom and incredible insight, not only on culture and calling, but also on storytelling. And so I really hope that you enjoyed that. If you're a storyteller, if you're passionate about these things, writing, photography, video, then please go to gemission.org and inquire if you'd like to serve with us. If you're interested in doing this on 10.2, it's a bit different process. You may go through a couple more interviews, but still inquire. We want to talk with you. We want to read what you've written in the past. We want to see your photos. We want to look at your videos and watch your videos. So please take next steps if you're interested. And do us a favor, share this with a friend who may be interested. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.